1: Alle in Deutschland, die ein wenig Motivation brauchen. Hier spricht Under Armer nur für dich. Wir sehen, wie du dich abrackerst. Kilometer für Kilometer bei Regen oder Schnee. Heute Morgen und jeden Morgen. Genau das macht den Unterschied. Es sind diese harten Kilometer, die dich stärker machen. Mach den Winter zu deinem Coach. Ganz egal, was dein nächstes Ziel ist. Nimm es mit diesem Winter auf. Mit den Hover Infinite 3 Stormlaufschuhen. Mit doppelschichtigem, wasserfestem Obermaterial von Under Armer.
2: Welcome to Politics Weekly Extra. I'm Jonathan Friedland. This week, Joe Biden marked his first year as president. When taking the oath of office back on January the 20th, 2021, he set out four main goals of his presidency. And one of them was to achieve racial justice. And I firmly believe the nation is ready to change, but government has to change as well. But on Wednesday, nearly exactly one year on, Senate Democrats failed to pass a key bit of legislation. It was called the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Bill, named for John Lewis, the legendary civil rights activist and longtime congressman. The plan was to combine two bills which together would ensure sweeping voting protections for the many millions of Americans at risk of losing the right to vote. This comes years after Republican lawmakers, particularly at state level, have been introducing new legislation that has made it disproportionately more difficult to vote in black and minority areas. For their part, Republicans say that, despite whatever evidence is piling up to the contrary, there is no problem for minorities wishing to vote in America. Listen, and listen really closely, to the words of Senate Minority Leader, Republican Mitch McConnell, for the way he put that argument this week.
0: Well, the concern is misplaced, because if you look at the statistics, African-American voters are voting in just as high a percentage as Americans.
2: Notice there, Mitch McConnell distinguishing between African-Americans and Americans. Now, this should have been a win and a big win for the Biden administration. They have, albeit a narrow, razor-thin majority, but a majority in the Senate. And nevertheless, two of Joe Biden's own Democrats let the bill fail over a technicality. Kirsten Sinema of Arizona and Joe Manchin Of West Virginia. Listeners to this podcast are getting very used to hearing those names. Those two Democratic rebels were unwilling to vote to abolish the filibuster, that little bit of procedure in the Senate, which would have prevented Republicans from blocking this bill on voting rights from passing. All of which means that for one group of Americans in particular, a group that was instrumental in getting Joe Biden to the White House in the first place, the president's first year has been something of a failure and a disappointment. Black voters are starting to wonder when the Biden administration will come through on its promise to repay them for their loyalty in the 2020 election. So to understand more what this big defeat in the Senate could mean for Joe Biden's relationship with black voters, I spoke to Erin Haynes. She's editor at large at the 19th which is an independent, not-for-profit newsroom reporting on gender, politics and policy. So I started off by asking Erin Haynes why those black voters had overwhelmingly voted to back Joe Biden in 2020 and how many of them feel now looking back on his first year in office
0: you know, their priority was not only uh, to get rid of President Donald Trump, who was not somebody that they had supported, you know, in in 2016, but really, you know, they wanted issues like policing, issues like voting rights, issues like uh, systemic inequality and racial injustice addressed uh, with this new administration. And so I think in the past year, while while a lot of those issues certainly have, have been on the table and uh have come up for legislative action they have not gotten the results uh that they have wanted a lot of the black voters that I talked to as well as black organizers the people that turned out a lot of those voters in record numbers they are really wondering what parts of the uh, of their agenda you know when when will they see that, that that realized uh with this administration because you know the police reform that was promised that has not yet come to pass Voting rights, even as we speak, it seems to be dying on the vine at least for now and 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 who knows you know what the future of that is is going to be, even as state legislatures continue to pass uh, very onerous voter suppression laws in states across the country, so you know black voters are feeling pretty frustrated
2: you 're describing there Erin a picture to use your word of, of black voters feeling frustrated that much of what they voted for hasn't come about. Is that disappointment, does that translate into blame directed towards Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? Or do those voters direct their blame at, well, for example, to mention the voting rights story, which is going on, Mm -hmm. absolutely, as you say, as we speak, do they say, that's not Joe Biden's fault, he wants to get those changes passed? Uh, He's being blocked by You know, those couple of crucial uh, senators on the Democratic Mm -hmm. side who are holding things up. We've talked about them a lot on this podcast. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona. Do black voters extend some understanding to Joe Biden that, look, his heart's in the right place, but he's being thwarted at, at every turn by people who are meant to be on his own side?
0: Well, I think, you know, what, what Black organizers, uh, Black voters, what they, what they have said to me was, especially in places like Georgia, again, where you saw voters standing in hours-long lines in the middle of a pandemic, up against voter suppression, you know, they were asked to put everything on the line in 2020. Uh, and then again, in 2021, for that Senate runoff, they were asked to do whatever it took to ensure democratic victory so that their priorities could be um, on the agenda those same voters, those same organizers are now saying to the administration, what are you willing to put on the line? Where is your, you know, doing whatever it takes approach to voting rights? Uh, In the same way that, that we saw President Biden go so forcefully to get the infrastructure bill passed, they wanted to see more of an effort, more of of him using the full weight of his office, whether that is executive orders or using the bully pulpit or whatever he could do to really put pressure on and to show that this was a a thing that that he cared about and that he was governing with them in mind.
2: Erin, we should explain exactly what is this link between voting rights and the very specific concerns and needs of black Americans. I mean, people will know, I think, that there was a huge civil rights movement in the 60s. It culminated in the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which turned into law, passed into law, that there should be equal and fair access for everyone to the ballot, including black Americans. And yet here we are nearly 60 years later where it's not a given that black Americans will have the same voting rights as everyone else nearly 60 years later. Why is that?
0: That was legislation that was targeting states, southern states, that had historically disenfranchised Black voters, made them do onerous things like, you know, pay a poll tax or have to tell the the registrar things like how many bubbles were in a bar of soap or how many jelly beans were in a jar, just really ridiculous uh, hurdles that were meant to keep them from exercising their right to vote as American citizens. And so the Voting Rights Act was was renewed over a number of years, uh, but then fast forward to 2013 in the Supreme Court in its Shelby versus Holder decision. The court's conservative majority appeared poised to strike down at least part of the act and eliminate the current federal oversight of voting in the South. Decided that states uh, that had a historical record of disenfranchising voters no longer would be required to seek permission uh, with something that's known as pre-clearance. They wouldn't have to seek permission to uh, make changes to election laws in in their states. And we saw that in the wake of that decision, some of those same states and and some others moved very swiftly uh, to change election laws uh, in ways that impacted people of color, marginalized people, uh, restricting their access to the ballot.
2: And this would be, for example, by restricting the number of hours uh, or, or, or weeks in which early voting can take place or the accessibility of, of ballot boxes where people can put mail in or paper ballots ahead of Election Day. Explain to for us why it is those things disproportionately impact black voters and minority voters more than the the rest of the electorate.
0: Sure. Uh, Well, I mean, you take an issue like requiring voter identification. Yeah. According to one recent survey, one in five voters lives in a state that requires photo ID to vote, but don't know it. You know, for people to be able to cast a ballot now, that can be the equivalent of a poll tax if they need to obtain certain ID. The cost of obtaining that ID, black people, depending on where you were born and when you were born, might not have the documentation required to get that ID easily. And yet um, that previously had not been a barrier to them being able to cast a ballot limiting the number of precincts or closing precincts in certain areas
1: voting rights randolph county only has nine polling places a plan to close seven of them could be announced this morning
2: critics are calling this a blatant attempt to suppress black vote
0: making it where you know a voter might have in a white neighborhood might be able to vote around the corner from their house right as opposed to five ten miles away uh, if that precinct is suddenly moved as it has been you know in some black communities limiting the number of, of poll workers can make for those long lines uh, that you see in in many black communities we've seen it in many counties long lines stretching down streets and around buildings and it's not even election day this is these was- things while you know on their face may not necessarily have the intent of disenfranchising black and brown voters. That has absolutely been the impact.
2: Right. And so the administration has brought forward, Democrats have brought forward a bill that would set a kind of minimum standard for voting practices, which would make impossible some of these deviations from that minimum standard that have happened in various Republican controlled states. And it is, uh, as you and I talk, being held up in the Senate in particular. Both the president and vice president went to Georgia last week. I make this announcement with careful deliberation, recognizing the fundamental right to vote as a right from which all other rights flow. And there, Joe Biden made a speech saying, "Look, he's really determined. Um, he's uh, wants to make this thing happen." And it was very striking that a whole coalition of voting rights activists and civil rights leaders held a press conference when the president and vice president came to town to say that they were going to stay away, they would not be there, in effect, boycotting this appearance.
1: While some voting rights activists
0: are in attendance, others choosing to skip the speech, calling anything short of a concrete plan to pass Democrats legislation unacceptable, an empty gesture. That
2: suggests that they do think this is somehow his fault. And like you said before, he hasn't done enough. Did do you think that idea of, of literally refusing to be in the room as a president uh, who is trying to advance this agenda. How much support do you think that commands, clearly it commands the support of black activists, but among black voters...
0: Well, I, I think that those activists, uh, you know, f- uh, for their part, they would say that, the, you know, they, they were really channeling the frustration of a lot of those voters that they were asked to turn out. In a lot of ways, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris going down to Georgia uh, felt to them like preaching to the choir. These are people who showed up, right, who understood what the assignment was and, and who turned out in record numbers to vote. And so, you know, these organizers, you know that they've been going to to Arizona, to to Kirsten Cinema's backyard, for example, to West Virginia, to Joe Manchin's backyard, for example, and and they were wanting President Biden and, and Vice President Harris to really take the fight directly to Congress, directly to you know anybody who was going to be in opposition of this legislation, as opposed to kind of coming to Georgia and and once again asking
2: those folks to to show up. That's interesting. I mean, in a way. In a way, you're saying, you know, they shouldn't have gone to Georgia. They should have gone to West Virginia or Arizona. Take the message to where it needs to be heard.
0: Or Congress. I mean, that was really their message, uh, you know, that they they didn't need to be in Georgia. They needed to be in the Senate.
2: We've talked about some of the frustrations there are with Joe Biden. What about his vice president, Kamala Harris, who obviously came in with huge expectations as the first woman vice president, first African-American vice president, woman of color in that role. Is there some of the same frustration that there is directed at Joe Biden? Is some of that same frustration directed towards her?
0: Obviously, uh, the vice president, the president says is is his full partner. And in fact, Um, You know, she has been tasked with, you know, voting rights and and getting things done on voting rights. And so, you know, I think she certainly also has a role to play, has been kind of a more behind the scenes role. She certainly met with a lot of those organizers and activists and talked to them about their concerns, talked to them about what they want uh, the administration to be doing on this issue. I don't think anyone should be absolved from the responsibility of preserving and protecting our democracy, Mm -hmm. especially when they took an oath you know their thought is everybody has a role to play here you know they are going to you know continue to do the work of, of voter turnout but need the administration to continue to do the work of pushing back against uh, voter suppression and look i think a lot of their concerns and i think that that action uh, arguably did move the administration joe biden spoke pretty forcefully uh in georgia uh about his commitment to to getting this done saying that he was tired of being quiet and kind of banging on the podium there to protect our democracy
2: i support changing the senate rules whichever way they need to be changed to prevent a minority of senators from blocking action
0: on voting rights you know you had the senate immediately Taking steps to try to take action on this legislation, obviously not looking very good. Once you saw that that Senator Manchin and Cinema were not interested in changing that carve out for the filibuster, but getting this legislation to the point of debate was not something that that was even possible. You know, as late as last summer, although you know progress has not yet translated into victory on this issue.
2: It was Martin Luther King Day on Monday. And this week, Martin Luther King Jr.'s son and granddaughter went public calling out these two Democratic senators who have been holding up, blocking the passage of this voting rights legislation by refusing to allow change in this bit of procedure, the filibuster.
0: They think the real problem isn't that our rights are being stolen. They think the real problem is a disease of division.
2: I mean, those two senators, Manchin and Sinema, have come under pressure from all kinds of quarters, people pleading with them to allow this change, these protections for voting rights. And they have been deaf to those pleas. Erin, I have to ask, what do you think explains their refusal to move on this? I mean, the question has to be asked, do you think it's racism on their part?
0: Oh, yeah, I I don't presume to know, you know, kind of what is in the hearts and minds of of anybody, uh, least of all, uh, you know, politicians. But I think what I would say is what we've heard from them is, you know, a commitment to the traditions of the Senate. I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. Senator Sinema saying uh, last week that she doesn't want to kind of contribute to uh, the division that that currently exists in, in in our politics. The rule book means that the rules changes are done on the basis of broad bipartisan consensus, not imposed on the minority by raw majority power. Senator Manchin saying that he is still trying to find some sort of bipartisan solution to voting rights and is is hoping that that people can come back to the table. But you know, I think for Democrats' part, whether you're talking about uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer or the President. Uh, what they say is that, you know, it's time to to kind of know where people stand. And so even if they go down fighting, getting people on the record to say whether they support voting rights and, and specifically, you know, supporting voting rights, translating into being willing to change the rules to get this legislation passed, uh, you know, they, they say it's time for a vote.
2: Putting aside this specific and really obstinate issue of voting rights, what's the... Black view of the rest of this first year of the Biden Harris administration on the ledger. Are there positives? Are there other negatives? How does this first year of the administration stack up in the eyes of this all-important for Democrats, all important voting group?
0: You know, black voters certainly are are pragmatic and 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 clear out about maybe some of the limits of what this administration is able to do, especially with a 50-50 Senate, and so so certainly on issues like the pandemic, for example, uh, where you saw um, the president and vice president really trying to address the inequality, the disparity in how you know vaccines are being distributed. But again, on uh, the issue of policing, for example, which you know a lot of, of black voters were, were motivated by in the wake of this racial reckoning that came in the midst of a pandemic that was already ravaging Black communities, right? The pandemic of the killing of unarmed Black people was something that Black voters also wanted addressed. And that's something that frankly did not get across the finish line uh, last year. And so I think that leaves Black voters just kind of wondering how much of a priority their agenda is, is going to be going forward, because as you know, I mean, you know, we're now in another election cycle and and voters are always, no matter who they are, are always wondering kind of what have you done for me lately?
2: Do you think it's possible to get them out in those big numbers without passing the so-called Build Back Better bill, even a scaled down one? Do you think he needs Joe Biden to somehow get Joe Manchin on board to pass that big, what's sometimes called social infrastructure, you know, domestic spending bill, which is really the kind of bread and butter kitchen table spending that a lot of voters will need. Do you think black voters in particular kind of need that tangible achievement if they are to come out, particularly because it's 2022 in those midterm elections that are, well, 10, 11 months down the track?
0: Sure. I mean, I think, uh, you know, black voters like all voters, uh, you know, the economy is is one of the the number one issues. And racking up more successes like, uh, you know, passing Build Back Better, if they're able to do that, uh, certainly gives them a stronger case to make to all voters and uh, and also obviously includes black voters as well.
2: Erin, we had as a guest on this show um, a couple of months back now. David Shaw, and I'm, I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. in some of his work, he's caused a lot of controversy, uh, you know, the sort of data analyst, and um, uh, who's got the ear of quite a lot of senior Democrats. He has this view that he extended to include Latino voters as well, but African American voters are often more conservative than the often mainly white college educated liberals who he says sort of tend to run democratic campaigns. And his view is that, just, and this is just shorthand now, as I summarise, but some of the more ultra-progressive kind of woke positions, and I use that word just as shorthand, that some Democrats have been associated with, even if unfairly, really turn off often quite traditional, socially conservative black voters. And he's thinking of, you know, the difference between the sort of Bernie bros who back Bernie Sanders And a lot of those often women, older African-American women who voted for Joe Biden in South Carolina. What do you make of that whole thesis?
0: I guess maybe to your point, for example, uh, you know, the whole defund the police argument. I mean, that is not, you know, that kind of argument, I guess, saying that that language was problematic for some Democrats who, uh, you know, are looking to shore up uh, maybe more moderate uh, black voters in terms of how consequential that 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 has been, I think is is a, a matter of debate between progressives and and moderates. But I mean, frankly, you know, a lot of issues that were seen as as maybe uh, progressive or even, I guess, uh, you know, I hate using this word woke or or whatever. I mean, those have been mainstreamed. You know, uh, raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, student loan debt forgiveness, you know, free college. These are things that that are much more popular, uh, you know, among a wider number of, of Democrats than they were in the past. And so, yeah, I think I think
2: David Shaw would say that's exactly the stuff that is fine. That's the kind of bread and butter stuff that Democrats do really well on. I think he's talking about those cultural. Things.
0: But, but 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 once upon a time, that wasn't that wasn't bread and butter. Sure. You know, that, that, you know, that, you know, the idea that, that Black Lives Matter. I mean, that is something that's become much more mainstreamed than it was when that hashtag was and, and that movement was born. Right. And so I think, you know, whether people want to debate the, the language or the framing of some of these issues is, is one thing, but even intergenerationally you have a lot of black folks that are, are concerned about their general safety and welfare and what that is gonna look like, uh and and, and freedoms, frankly, um eroding as you know, we move forward as a democracy and a society.
2: Erin, we always ask a what else question on the podcast. The Biden administration, we read, is prepared to issue 400 million free masks from the national stockpile. Do you see any change in the mask in American politics? Are people going to be able to just wear them whether if they think they make them better? Or will they continue to be this weird kind of political symbol where supporters of one side wear them and supporters of the other side don't?
0: Yeah, I, I do think uh, you know. Unfortunately, the, the the pandemic has certainly become part of the culture wars, and masks kind of the most tangible, visible symbol of that. I do think you know making them free and more widely available could maybe make some part of the population wear them more. But yeah, I mean, there certainly is an, an, another part of the population for whom it you know, really wouldn't matter how available or mm. or uh, you, you made masks. Yeah, they're going to continue to exercise their, their liberty uh, and their choice to, to not mask.
2: Erin Haynes from The 19th. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me, Jonathan.
2: And that is all from me for this week. There'll be a link on today's episode description where you can find our Guardian colleagues' excellent coverage of Joe Biden's first year in office. Do make sure to listen back also to Wednesday's edition of UK Politics Weekly, as Jessica Elgott explores the working culture that exists in 10 Downing Street, and how that culture might change after Partygate. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Danielle Stevens, and I'm Jonathan Friedland. Please look after yourself. And thanks, as always, for listening.
1: Alle in Deutschland, die ein wenig Motivation brauchen. Hier spricht Under Armour nur für dich. Wir sehen, wie du dich abrackerst. Kilometer für Kilometer bei Regen oder Schnee. Heute Morgen und jeden Morgen. Genau das macht den Unterschied. Es sind diese harten Kilometer, die dich stärker machen. Mach den Winter zu deinem Coach. Ganz egal, was dein nächstes Ziel ist. Nimm es mit diesem Winter auf. Mit den Hover Infinite 3 Stormlaufschuhen. Mit doppelschichtigem, wasserfestem Obermaterial von Under Armour.